Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Monday, November 11th, 11-11, and we've got your Week 11 ACC football recap. What a week it was. Uh, a great week for the Virginia Tech Hokies. If um, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, obviously a, uh, a great day watching Bud Foster be honored for all of the work that he's done uh, over you know, three, maybe four, four decades, probably, um, you know, not, not to date him, but, uh, yeah, Tim, before we get into that, what's going on with you? You know, I'm hanging out, uh, in the kitchen doing a little podcasting, Great. basking in the light of a lit, and I know I'm making this notation very clearly for you, a lit Christmas tree. That's the only light on down here. And it's a pretty cool ambiance for what should be a good podcast. Well, fantastic. You know you know what else reminded me of Christmas today, Tim? What's that? We got our first snow NFL game. We sure did. And uh, it happened to be my Green Bay Packers against your Carolina Panthers. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, came down to the wire. Uh, you know, I will say not the, uh, not the greatest officiated football game I've ever seen. No. I mean, you know, there bad calls both ways. For sure. For sure. Uh, you know, we mentioned offline here, uh, the refs pulled out the uh, the Clay Matthews handbook on bad roughing the passer penalties. Yeah. Uh, it just happened to bite the Carolina Panthers this time. You want to uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, McCoy sacking Aaron Rodgers, doing what he's taught to do, not driving him, didn't hit him late, uh, didn't use his body weight to plow him into the ground, and they flagged them, and that would have resulted in a punt from uh, maybe the 10-yard line. I can't remember exactly which uh, resulted in, you know, a roughing the passer. So there was no punt, and I think Green Bay gained about 30 to 40 yards on the drive. Um, no, Green Bay the- actually uh, drove down to the one. Oh, that's right. And then we had the amazing stand there at the one. Yeah, yeah, um, took it to the one. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, that was irritating. Also, there was a missed blatant face mask um, on Kyle Allen, which was pretty frustrating. I mean, there were a couple of ticky-tack calls I thought could go Carolina's way that just didn't. You know, but then again, you had Lazard on the one of the worst offensive pass interference calls I've ever seen. Yeah, so, that was pretty horrendous. So uh, I gotta tell it. you, um, Kyle Allen, dude's a gamer. You know, yeah. watching him drive the team down the field there with the game on the line. Yeah, I, I don't know what like he was wearing on his cleats, but he just refused to to go down. He he was no. hit constantly, and uh, I don't know if he was wearing snow boots or had some kind of special snowshoe on. But yeah, that guy. Uh, could really keep his balance when um when the uh, defenders were coming at him but you know one thing Tim I will say about that football game is I just love watching any kind of football game when there's snow falling absolutely so definitely makes me feel like the holidays are around the corner which they are and uh you know from a college football standpoint we are uh full steam ahead uh in the season and we're really starting to see things shape up a little bit and you know one thing that started happening in the ACC here is a lot of uh, a lot of good football played by the coastal actually the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So we've seen you know the the three teams that we thought would be the top dogs in the coastal uh, to start the season UVA Virginia Tech Miami start winning a little bit more consistently and all three of those teams won this week and and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, you know something else I wanted to hit on first college football playoff poll. So we obviously saw Clemson get spurned in that one. Uh, they made a statement earlier or uh, on Saturday against NC State. We'll talk about that game, much to your chagrin, I'm sure. Yep. Um, but we also saw Minnesota 
take care of business at home against <laughs> yeah. Penn State. So that was you know, awesome. A lot of uh, a lot of row in the boat there. Uh, LSU big win on the road against Alabama takes them down. A mm-hmm. uh, a very special Coach O video, uh, you know, surfaced of a player recording his uh, post game locker room speech. Players stop recording in the locker room. Yeah, so that's Not you know good. It's just. You know, obviously that stuff goes on, and you know, Coach O was fired up. I don't, you know, he's got oh he's got gosh. a Cajun enough voice as it is. Like after that one, like honestly, like he always looks like he's uh, on the verge of about to pass out. Well, it's funny. Like of all the videos posted of Coach O, even his post game pressers, that was probably the easiest understood Coach O video I've ever heard. He actually spoke very very clearly, and for Coach O, that's a miracle. Um, you know, if, if you haven't uh, heard him speak, which I'm sure most of you have, he sounds like the Cajun assistant football coach slash overall wearer from the Waterboy movie with Adam Sandler. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that guy is as Cajun as Cajun gets. So, yep. uh, you know, I love him. I love Coach O. And, you know, Coach O, actually, his situation got me thinking about the Florida State coaching situation. And, uh, you know, if you remember... Les Miles was fired, and Coach O was the interim coach. And, you know, obviously a coaching search ensued in the uh, in the postseason, and Coach O was not, the, uh, was not the number one choice, but he ended up landing the job. He, you know, desperately wanted the job, and, you know, it seems like it's working out a little bit here. Should Odell Higgins be the next head coach for Florida State? <laughs> I was going to ask if you were tying in an Odell Higgins reference here. And I don't know. I mean, what he's 3-0, and right, in these games? Yeah, he's 3-0. And I think the thing with him is, and I'm being, I'm being serious when I ask this question, you know, you talk about Florida State and you see and you hear about a program where if you're not familiar with the Florida State guy or you're not a Florida State guy, you struggle with the way that that athletic department is set up. So yeah. It's a unique situation there. It is. Higgins is a guy who he's been there for almost 30 years, knows the ins and outs. Obviously, he's not the big splashy hire, but that hasn't worked for Florida State. You know, obviously Jimbo, you know, got them the national title, but even he grew frustrated with, you know, the athletic department and how they operated. So, you know, sometimes it's just not about the splashy hire that is going to, you know, bring you success. Look at Chad Morris at Arkansas. He just got fired. Right. You know, he's a guy who, you know, they pulled from SMU, former Clemson offensive coordinator. And, you know, he was only given really not even two full seasons, gone. Willie Taggart, gone after 18 games. So, you know, sometimes the uh, the bigger the splash, the harder they fall, as we've right. seen. So, right. I don't know, just wanted to throw that out there. But Well, you know, it's something to think about. And it's, you know, it's interesting that the guy, when you listen to him talk, he clearly understands what it means to be a Florida State Seminole. You know, not only only has he coached there forever and, and you know, coached under uh, Bobby Bowden for a long time. Um, you know, it's crazy to think the guy is, you know, he's been there forever and, and he's been a D-line D coach for some of the best D-linemen uh, that we've seen in college. So it's not like the guy isn't an elite uh, positions coach. He seems to certainly get it when you listen to him talk. It would be a really interesting experiment to give him a season or two. Uh, you know, just to see, you know, where the where the dice lie. But it, it, they're in a situation where they can't really give anyone that time. It's Florida State. So, um, you know, the, the pressure to win is now. And, I, you know, I'm not sure they're ever going to give that job to someone like Odell, sadly. 
So let's talk about an elite head coach, probably the greatest defensive coordinator in the history of college football, Bud Foster. Let's do it. So he was honored this week, and the Hokies came out and performed like we expect a Bud Foster defense to perform. And, you know, it was glorious. You know, we had a lunch pail banner unveiled. You know, we had the Gatorade bath at the end of the game. He was presented the game ball. He was carried off the field. We saw Bud Foster cry, which has never made me feel like less of a man. But <laughs> I agree. You know, it was just a great way to to honor uh, honor Foster, and um, you know, I I I have to say this is probably the best I've seen the defense perform since the Florida State opener last season, or yeah, last season, I guess. Um, it was an extremely difficult matchup, and you know, they played up to the hype. And I mean, you know, Wake Forest came in. Ranked number seventh nationally in total offense, sixteenth in scoring, finished with a season low in yards, a season low in points scored. Guys were motivated, got to the quarterback, made some big hits, made some big plays in the backfield, and you know the, the Wake Forest only ran sixty-five plays, which is twenty below their season average. So that just speaks to the dominance that the defense had out on the field, and you know despite a few offensive miscues there in the first half. I mean, Virginia Tech absolutely destroyed Wake Forest in this one. Yeah, and, and no one really could have seen this coming. Um, you know, if Virginia Tech was going to win, most kind of thought in their head that it would be kind of a blow-for-blow blow type situation where the offense would need to keep up. But this was like a vintage Virginia Tech defense performance. It was almost like they rewound the clock 12 or 13 <laughs> years, and, um, you know, it was great. So one of the most encouraging things for me um, if you throw Kendall Hinton out, Kendall Hinton, just shout out to him. What a transition that guy's made from quarterback to wide receiver. What a heck of a game from him. It seemed like he was always wide open. Yeah, he had a um, nice game. Yeah, he had a great game. But put that to the side. I thought Caleb Farley just had an incredible, he just keeps having incredible after incredible performance. And for a guy that got burned a lot last year, um, you know, took his lumps. And now we see a guy playing at what I think is a, almost an elite level. Uh, that has really, really sparked, I think, our performances in you know the games that we've we've played over the past four to five weeks. Um, you know, with him and Waller, that defensive secondary is is becoming quite special in that quarter cornerback position. Well, you know, I, I think with with Farley, you know, we've seen his progression. Not just you know compared this season to last season, it's night and day. But we've seen him get better over the course of the entire season. Yeah. And as we've seen him get better, we've seen the defense improve. And that's because he's been able to kind of free up some of that pressure in the secondary. There's been a lot more man coverage going on and press coverage. That's you know, right. It's something that, you know, Bud Foster cited specifically in this game. He said, you know, not taking away from the Wake Forest wide receivers, you know, he was getting giving them a lot of respect, but said they aren't the quickest guys off the line. They're big, they're possessive type of receivers. So they really wanted to press them up on the line. Caleb Far- Farley's not a not a small dude. No. And, uh, you know, that's something where he, he can win and succeed at. And, I mean, like you said, Kendall Hitton had, had a nice day. Sage Surratt had two touchdowns uh, before leaving injured, but – Overall, I mean, it was it was a big uh, big task for this defense, and the secondary I thought really shined. Shout out to Armani Chapman as well, you know, stepping in there in the first mm-hmm. half. Uh, he really played up to the task, and yeah. you know, even um, even beside Chapman, you know, we saw a lot of Javon Quillen in there as well. So, you know, it was kind of a secondary by committee 
uh, for for much of the game until and then Waller you, got in. So yeah, and, and but you look up at the front of the the defense too in that line. You know they're working in tandem, and a lot of times when you see a big game from the line. Uh, you'll see a big game from the secondary and vice yeah. versa because the two feet off of each other. I can't, I don't know how Bud's done it. And obviously, uh, Coach Wiles deserves some credit here. That defensive line has completely transformed. I mean, in the beginning of the season, it seemed like we were hardly getting pressure, uh, especially when we weren't playing very well. And we were having discussions about, hey, we know we're not deep here. We certainly seem undersized, yada, yada, yada. Now you've got guys coming off the edge, coming centrally. These twitch guys, were that the undersized defensive linemen that we're used to seeing in hokey defenses are just eating up opposing quarterbacks, and I absolutely love it. That has been so huge and so critical, along with the stellar play of our cornerbacks. And I think that's why we're finding the, the Hokies in the position we're finding them in now, which is um, I'm not worried about that defense too much anymore. Uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty comfortable, and I think we actually have a defense that could— uh, could, could essentially win the Coastal Division for the Hokies if it comes to that. But, you know, again, it's that transformation that I can't believe we're sitting here on November 11th talking about this right now. No, and I think, you know, outside of Clemson and Pitt, Virginia Tech might have, might be playing the best defensively of any team in the conference right sure, now. Sure, sure. And, you know, we've seen a lot of injuries to teams like North Carolina. You know, the UVA secondary is very banged up, and they're now vulnerable through the air. So, you know, what we're seeing in this Virginia Tech defense, and specifically, like you said, in that defensive line, you know, they held Wake to 63 yards on the ground, 2.2 yards per carry. They had seven quarterback hurries, three sacks, seven tackles for loss. Jamie Newman looked pedestrian, 16 for 35, 238, two INTs. You know, they, they were even yeah. dropping defensive linemen back in the coverage. Deshaun Crawford <laughs> with the huge pick. The only way that would have been better had he scored. And if he had scored, I probably would have just come out of my skin oh man but you know it's uh it was a pretty incredible game and um just from a defensive standpoint you know there wasn't much that that we that the Hokies did wrong there um you know a couple of guys running free occasionally but that's gonna happen and you know when Wake Forest drove down the field there in the second quarter I was like okay so that's gonna happen you know we expected uh expected a few points to be scored but that was pretty much it that was the most methodical yeah. drive that they had and outside of that it was just that one anomaly drive and you know the Hokies defense I gotta tell you so we we've seen flashes of this defense over the last two years play solid for for parts of a game even like going back to the Duke game in the first quarter the defense was absolutely down oh yeah yeah but they just haven't been able to put it together. And then since that North Carolina game, that second half, they gave up the one big play. They've been absolutely dominant since that point. Yep, they have. So, and, you know, you could see the effect on it, too. You mentioned uh, a little bit ago about how, you know, Jamie Newman looked. To me, it was telling in that fourth quarter when the backup quarterback went in, you know, they were showing shots of Newman on the sideline with his helmet off. Um he looked like he didn't know what just happened to him. So I got So this this question was brought up by our buddy Heath, and his question was, "Did Wake give up with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter?" Which is when Newman came out of the game. It was, you know, coming off of the Newman interception where Tawan Garbett got through the line. You know, the ball got lofted up into the air. Dax Hollyfield comes down with it, and then Hinton Hooker takes it in for the score. Thirty-six seventeen at that point. Did Wake give up? There was almost five minutes left in the game, and yeah, they were down big, but it seemed like an early point to pull Newman 
And then they brought in, you know, QB twelve star Tavon uh, Tavon Bowers from the Netflix series. Yeah. If you're from, if you're familiar, so I don't know what was your uh, what was your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I was totally confused. I had assumed that Newman had been hurt, um, but you know, I don't think that was the case based on what we heard after the game. A weird so look from what, Clawson. What happened after the game? I didn't hear it, hear anything. I, I mean, they, they just didn't mention it, so I didn't hear any anybody in any uh, recaps talking about it, and I could have missed it. Um, but Newman seemed okay. But my only thought was he had to have been injured, right? You can't, no, I don't. It's, I really don't think giving he was up other by, than that. by the way that he was reacting on the sideline. I didn't know if he was yelling at a coach and a you know an official. Like I didn't know what was happening. But we just saw him being very animated on the sideline. Didn't have his helmet on. And I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. So I don't know if he had just gotten sprayed with some water by an equipment guy. I don't know, you know, what was going on, but I gotta say, um, with <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of a weird look when you're Wake Forest, right? Because you know, you, you came in as the clear number two team in the conference. You know, you got a big matchup going into to Clemson next week. It probably would have felt good to get something going there offensively, and I know Sage Surratt was was out of the game at that point with the shoulder injury. Scotty Washington didn't play. I mean, try to get something going. I mean, get some kind of spark. But, I, I mean, I really don't think it would have mattered in the end. The Virginia Tech defense was too strong. They were too motivated. Uh, they definitely played with fire. And uh, it was really good kind of coming off the Notre Dame game because that's that's a tough way to lose. You lose in the final minute of the game to a, you know, a top 15 team in the country, a team that you probably should have beat. Um, and to come out and respond to the way that they did against a uh, top 25 opponent and uh, you know one of the best teams in your conference, I thought that was that was very telling, and I thought it showed a, a pretty good uh, a good amount of maturity by this Virginia Tech team, something that we really haven't seen in the last two years. Sure. Um, and you know I think that has to do with the age and the experience that's on the field, and these guys are young, but now they have a lot of experience, so that should pay dividends for them for the rest of the season and, and going forward. And, uh, you know, before we talk about the offense, just want to mention that can all go out the window with the loss to Georgia Tech next week. So, Amen. And Georgia Tech is, is a team that is 2-7, but they're, they're playing, playing better. better than yeah. their record right now. So uh, definitely cannot overlook that. Um, you know, should have a, a decent amount of fans there in Atlanta. It's a big Hokie alumni base. If you're in Atlanta, go to that game. Cheer on the Hokies. And... Uh, you know, hopefully they bring it home. They're opening up as a five and a half point road favorite, uh, so they have not been a favorite here in a while. Um, so shouldn't matter in the end. I mean, I think if Virginia Tech goes out and plays their style of football, you know, they should win with ease. Um, but just don't overlook it, especially with Pitt and uh, and UVA coming up. But let's uh, let's talk about the offense a little bit because I don't want to understate what the offense did in this game either. And you know, really, uh, execution was the big issue there in the first half. You know, uh, fumbled snap uh, on a, uh, I believe it was a third and goal, maybe first and goal situation. Um, you know, ended up making the Hokies force uh, or kick a field goal. You know, lost a couple of fumbles. There was a big play to Terry Sweetly running down the field, which I think that was probably the first time we had seen him in an offensive set all season, it felt like. And the last time we'll see him. Yeah. Well, he's, he did. He was back on the field in the kickoff situation yeah. right after, and- but... Obviously, I'm just joking. Just just taking a nod at Fuente's uh, love for taking people out for uh, fumbling the ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, talk about a, a great time to show up. It was just frustrating because 
you know, Wheatley being a guy that we don't see on the field a lot and certainly not in the general flow of the offense. If we do see him, it's on special teams. Um, you know, for him to make that play and then get stripped from behind was just so frustrating uh, for him because I wanted him, you know, I wanted him to, uh, to do well. And I think he does have some speed that our offense could take advantage of. But, uh, you know, obviously let us down there a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, a uh, costly fumble by Hinton Hooker there as well. But, you know, it really got cleaned up there in the second half. And really in the first half, I mean, it felt like we were just dominating but losing, you know, up until uh, up until the latter part. And then 30 points scored in the second half, um, just complete dominance. Uh, the offense just runs so much more efficiently with Hinton Hooker running it. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what it is. Um, I, I think partly it's that the defense, you know, knows that he can throw the ball, knows that he can run the ball. The jet sweep seems to work with Hendon Hooker running the offense. Doesn't it? And uh, it provided the biggest play of the game, I believe, from a yardage standpoint. Trey Turner uh, had a 57-yard run. Ended up leading the team in rushing. He had four carries for 73 yards. Hooker added 69 on the ground. Deshaun McLeese had uh, around 60, also two touchdowns. Hokies ended with four rushing touchdowns in the game. Uh, James Mitchell also took one in, you know, a, a very similar jet sweep touchdown call that we saw earlier in the year with him. Um, 242 yards on the ground total for Virginia Tech. So not the most conventional style of running the football, but, you know, it's been it's been working. So uh, Hooker, you know, didn't have any uh, passing touchdowns in this game, but pretty efficient through the air. You know, Hokies have to be pretty happy with what uh, what they've been getting out of him. And uh you know, like I said, you got to keep up the momentum going into into next week against Georgia Tech, and then, um, you know, Pitt right after that before hosting UVA or going on the road to UVA for what may be a coastal takes all matchup. Yeah, and I mean that scenario just is enough to get your head spinning at this point. Um, yeah, the, the offense looks good. I mean, Hendon, you know, makes the right reads. He he gets the tempo of the offense correct. Um, and you know, he gives you that threat, that running threat that makes the defense stay vanilla because they can't, you know, they can't cheat on a guy like Hendon, um, you know, QP, they can, you know, load the box a little bit more comfortably given where QP's, uh, throwing games at right now. But Hendon is, a uh, not at all the passer that I thought he was, um, you know, before we saw him take over, the guy has got some ability to make some pretty serious passes. Um, and your know, running remains great from him. I like what we're seeing on, from the offensive standpoint. I think we can get a little too conservative at times, and that's frustrating. But that was the game plan going into Wake Forest. And I thought if you're talking about how did we do and you holding it up against the game plan as kind of uh, you know a, a litmus test, I thought we did fantastic. Uh, we kept the ball out of Jamie Newman's hands. We got that defense rest. We controlled the clock. We, we turned down first down after first down after first down. And it looked really good. Um, I love spreading the ball around, rushing right now. I think that's the way to go. You got guys like McLeese and King that look like they have new leases on life. Um, every every week we're seeing highlight reel jukes from those two. Um, you know, it's just absurd. Mitchell continues to look comfortable carrying the ball, and I love the way that Cornelson is working him in like a Jalen Samuels type player, um, like we saw at NC State. Um, you know, and then, and then the ability of Trey Turner, you know, to be that athletic guy that we absolutely need to step up time and time again, whether it's blowing the top off of a defense on a fly route or in this case where he uh, took a jet sweep for about 50 yards. Um, he's been tremendous. And so as we're going, my frustrations with the offense still exist. 
I'm not sold on Cornelson long-term. But what he's doing right now, if we look at the past four or five games in a vacuum, I'm very, very happy with, um, you know, all things considered. Uh, you know, minor, minor uh, issues with the, the play calling aside. And, you know, with Hooker in the backfield right now, Virginia Tech looks very, very comfortable in offense. And we've solved our biggest issue, which was that identity um, and our ability to make those third down conversions. We're, we're converting on third down now. Um, you know, if you looked at the past five games, I imagine our, our third down conver- conversion percentage would be in the top 30, top 40 of college football teams. That's just a guess based on what I'm seeing from my eye. Um, and we have an identity. Uh, you know, we're a team that's going to run and pass the ball. We're a balanced attack now. And we know what we're going to do. We're going to spread you out laterally, um, you know, through the run game. And we're going to get our yards up the middle, too. And, and you love to have a balanced rushing attack like that. Yeah, and I think, you know, you mentioned time of possession. Virginia Tech held the ball for 21 minutes in the first half. And they Jeez. won the overall time of possession 36 to 24. So against uh, that's a team exactly, like Wake Forest, it's impressive. Yeah, against a team like Wake Forest, you know, Wake Forest came in. They were completing 50% of their third down conversions. Virginia Tech called them to uh, 6 of 15. So, you know, everything was working for the defense. You know, they did exactly what they needed to do. They were getting the uh, defense off the field. The offense was keeping Wake's defense on the field. And really kind of what we saw out of this one was a complete team effort. You know, every aspect of the team was picking up other aspects of the team. So a couple things I don't want to lose sight of here. Special teams. Yes. Oscar Bradburn is an absolute beast. Boom. Uh, I think he is the third most efficient punter in the country. Uh, Wake only started one drive outside of their own 25. So, you know, that right there is huge just from a field position, you know, standpoint. You know that that's extremely difficult to overcome if you're if you're the opposing team. Uh, Tavion Robinson provided a much needed spark at punt return, and you yes. know Hezekiah Grimsley. You know he was a guy before this season who, you know, kind of backed away from that job, and he's just looked hesitant all year, and has just not been has not looked comfortable, has not been very good back there. So uh, Tavion looks like he can break it open at any moment. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him take a punt back at some point over the next three weeks. Um, And then Brian Johnson. I mean, again, three for three, basically automatic under 40 yards. You know, you get above that 40-yard mark, and, you know, it starts to get a little bit hairy. But, you know, the coaches should feel pretty comfortable uh, with him kicking in those types of situations. And, you know, you also see the offense, you know, go into four-down play calling when, you know, they are in a situation where it's going to be a 40-plus-yard field goal. So something to watch there. For the Hokies, you know what it all means. Hokies' first win against a ranked opponent at home since 2009. So, Tim, that's when we were in school. And if you remember, our buddy Mr. Boston made a post-game appearance after the the Hokies beat the ninth-ranked Miami team in a uh, rainstorm. It was a very wet day, uh, but a very fun day. um, It was. As we remember. So... um, (laughs) You know, this is this is a Hokies team who has really come out and showed that, you know, over the last five weeks, it's a completely different football team than what we saw to start the season. Uh, I think what we're seeing in things like FPI and the polls and, you know, the media outlets about their chances to win the Coastal and, you know, expectations and votes in these polls, people just haven't either been paying attention to Virginia Tech, thought they were a fluke, I got to tell you, 
you know, maybe we weren't sure about Virginia Tech going into this game after last week's game against Notre Dame. You know, they beat Miami. They gave a bunch of yards. They took a up-and-down North Carolina team to six overtimes. Ended up winning. But they took Notre Dame to the brink. Again, probably should have won. Had their backup quarterback in there, guy who was third string to start the season. Then they came out and absolutely dominated the top 25 team at home when they were home underdogs. So I think it's start time to you know start giving Virginia Tech a little bit of credit. But they are playing that underdog role. I like it. You know, there's still people that you know are propping UVA up as the team to beat in the Coastal, and you know right now they probably are because they're done with conference play until they host Virginia Tech. So they're in the driver's seat. Virginia Tech still got work to do. They got Georgia Tech, Pitt before that UVA game. You know, they got senior day uh, against Pitt at home. You know, that's a tough defense. It's an average offense. It's definitely a game Virginia Tech can win, should win. Uh, I really do think this this is setting up uh, for a Coastal Division title on Black Friday. Virginia Tech controls their own destiny. UVA controls their own destiny. It's the battle of the destinies. It's the battle for the Commonwealth Cup. Virginia Tech's won 15 years in a row. Will it be 16? We'll see. Will it be a date for for Clemson? We'll see. So right now, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you got to feel pretty good about where you're sitting. Uh, but again, you know, you still have that little bit of nerves in you because of just past history and um, you know everything that's taken place over the last you know four years, ten years, twenty years. Uh, Virginia Tech needs to come out, make a statement next week against Georgia Tech. We'll talk about that game a little bit later on. Uh, but Tim, any final words on the Hokies before we cover the rest of the ACC? Yeah, and this isn't you know on the football team. This is more you know to the fans. But the past couple of games at Lane Stadium have been awesome. Uh, to hear it through the TV, the way you know we're used to hearing it, uh, the excitement that's kind of budding around the pro- program again. Um, it's just great to see. So hats off to everybody who made that a special night for Bud, uh, who made it a special night for the Hokies program. Uh, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, keep showing up and keep being loud because we have to take Lane back uh, to being the Terror Dome and, and not, you know, not be the Lane that people kind of started to learn as the friendly confines for visiting teams. Um, and I think we're doing a good job of that. So that win was huge. Uh, for this year but looking back in hindsight that win was huge just to get back there and and show a ranked team what it meant to play in lane stadium and and i think the fans the atmosphere uh in the in the team on the field made that possible and all worked together and it's just good to see that again and i think the next two weeks are huge too because if you remember to last year georgia tech and pitt dominated virginia tech and uh i mean they were bloody games uh, very hard to watch, uh, gashed them on the ground. So, you know, most of these guys were on the team last year. Most of them were playing. And most of them were playing a lot better this year than they were last year. So they should be able to use that for motivation heading into the next two weeks. Um, I, it, it appears that this team doesn't have any issues getting focused now in practice, getting motivated for these games. Uh, it feels like they're playing for a bigger purpose. It It feels like the 2010 team to me a little bit. And if you remember yeah. the 2010 Virginia Tech team, obviously two very different losses, talking about Boise State at FedEx and then, of course, JMU the following week. But they ended up reeling off 11 wins in a row after that and got to an Orange Bowl, uh, which I can't recall the uh, outcome of that game against Stanford. But anywho, mm-hmm. uh, it's a team that was able to refocus itself, able to kind of right the ship, and that's what it feels like this team is doing uh, right now. So uh, good to see. 
positive momentum for the Hokies. Uh, you know, two out of the next three games are on the road. Got to go take care of business. So let's uh, let's jump over to UVA Georgia Tech. Uh, the Wahoos, Tim. Yay! You said this one was going to be close. They ended up winning thirty three twenty eight. Uh, UVA was down late in the first half before scoring in the final minute to take the lead, 24-21, going into halftime. Uh, after that, they they pretty much dominated the entire second half. Georgia Tech did get a late touchdown um, with about five minutes to go, uh, but were not able to get the ball back. UVA was able to hold on to the football. So another good game from Bryce Perkins, 258 through the air, second straight week over 100 yards rushing. Uh, it seems that Terrell... I believe it's Jana. Is yes. uh, he's starting to emerge as a playmaker for them? He had 13 for 146 a week ago. He added nine and 108 against Georgia Tech. So, you know, UVA offensively, it's a team that we thought would be able to move the ball against Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, if you haven't noticed, not so good defensively. Um, you know, rushing wise, I was a little surprised that they didn't get anyone else going outside of Perkins. Uh, maybe not surprised, maybe just more concerned. Um, but you know, Wayne Tua Lapapa outside of Perkins was the second leading rusher at 10 carries for 37 yards. So the Georgia tech defense has been giving up over 300 yards on the ground. Um, so hey, you know, clearly they're just not going to try to run the ball with anybody, but Bryce Perkins, uh, what was surprising is how the Georgia tech offense has, was moving the ball through the air. Yeah. Specifically. And, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about big surprises, uh, James Graham almost shocked me in that game, how well he played. Yeah, I mean, he came into the game, he was only completing 43% of his passes. He was 15-22 for 229 and two touchdowns. Yeah, impressive. So, and if you're UVA, you know, that raises a little bit of red flags for you, given the issues that they have currently with uh, their secondary staying healthy um, and stopping opponents right now through the air seems to be a slightly difficult yeah, so I mean, good news for UVA. They have a bye this week coming up, and then they have Liberty, and then they host Virginia Tech. Hey, so, don't don't sleep on Liberty right now. That offense, man, I'm telling you, yeah, Hugh Freeze I, is scorching hot. I think it's just it's good to have that extra bye week if you're UVA right now. Get a little yeah. bit healthy, and uh, you know you can be strategic against Liberty, but not too strategic if you know no. what I mean. Yeah, I do. I do. And, you know, Bryce Perkins, shout out to him. He's playing real, real good football the past couple of weeks. So, um, you know, that's what UVA is going to need down the stretch if they're going to take home the Coastal Crown. But also want to point out, it's against two of the weaker defenses sure. in the ACC. Sure. But, I, you know, I've been talking on this pod almost all season about how I needed to see it from him. Um, regardless of the competition, we're at least finally seeing it. Uh, you know, so that that's good to see. I mean, at least from a guy who I think is a pretty talented quarterback, um, you know, who I was, you know, have definitely given a hard time. Maybe I'm a little bit biased against him, uh, but credit where credit's due on that one. Florida State 38, Boston College 31. We both picked this game correctly. You know, we talked about the Odell Higgins situation. Um, you know, I, I think it was probably the most disciplined game Florida State played all season. Yeah. And, uh, you know, James Blackman, probably the best performance he's had all season. 346, two touchdowns. Tamron Terry, seven catches for 156 and a score. You know, they got down 14-3 to early, ended up scoring 21 straight points. Boston College was able to tie it up. And then, you know, they got a couple of big plays uh, 
down towards the end of the game, and uh, Boston College could not come back. So frustrating for Boston College because here they are in this situation where they're five and five. <laughs> Surprise! And you know they've got a, a couple of tough games coming up to where seven games would probably be okay at this point. Yeah. Um. You know, if you're AJ Dillon, you're probably pretty exhausted. You know, he has been getting worked since Anthony Brown has gone out. He had 40 more carries in this game, went for 165. Uh, David Bailey only had 12 touches, but added 67 on the ground. But, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't enough. Florida State uh, was able to take care of business. I think that's their eighth win out of nine tries against Boston College. So they they pretty much own Boston College at this point. Yeah. And, you know, Slim, the Slim Reaper and Scary Terry were back in full force, which is, you know, kind of what we were seeing in the beginning of the season, you know, uh, with Blackman having very, uh, very good amounts of success in that offense. And, um, you know, he's back and he looked good. And I think obviously leaning in Blackman as, as they progress through the year is going to be important now. I think he's got the higher ceiling from an offensive standpoint, obviously, uh, compared to Hornybrook. So good to see him have some success. Uh, there's just something I like about Odell Haggins, man. I, I hope that guy continues to do really, really well. You hear him talk, and I would almost run through a brick wall for the guy. So, uh, big win for the Knowles. Um, you know, it's a team dealing with that new coach bounce. So, who knows how far that'll take them. But, uh, you know, good win for them. And if you're BC, you're kind of where you always are at this point in the season. Um, you know, this is no surprise to them. Uh, but, you know, like you mentioned, Dylan is taking a absolute beating. Uh, 40 carries is, is, is huge, huge amount. So we'll see how much longer A.J. Dylan can stay healthy. And if there's one guy that can stand it, it's probably the human bowling ball himself. So. Yeah, and he's up to 1,400 yards rushing uh, already this season. And, you know, Boston College has a bye, and then they get to go on the road to Notre Dame and on the road to Pitt to end the season. So... There you go. Uh, their best shot at seven wins is splitting that and uh, winning their bowl game. But I have a feeling they're probably going to end this season five and seven, which is exactly where I had them penned coming into the year. Um, not the necessarily the wins and losses that I expected, <laughs> right. but right. you know they right. got there nonetheless. They did. Florida State, on the other hand, they're a win away from being bowl eligible, and they have Alabama State next week. So most likely go. they're going to get that sixth win, and then they finish the season with Florida. So um, lucky for them, they, uh, they've got that Alabama State on the schedule, that you know those weird games that we love so much. Uh, Miami routes Louisville 52-27. Jaron Williams sets a school record, six touchdown passes. DJ Dallas added 96 yards on the ground, also had a receiving touchdown, rushing touchdown as well. Miami is now bowl eligible, uh, up to 6-4. and four. Not the best executed game for Louisville. I mean, they did put up some numbers. Javion Hawkins had a nice day. Uh, but, you know, with a defense like Miami, you just cannot make mistakes. And, you know, Louisville, uh, their D is the biggest weakness. The Miami offense did not have any issues going up against it. Uh, they couldn't survive the three turnovers. They had a blocked punt, and uh, Cunningham also left the game with an injury in the second half. But Miami was up 35-14 at halftime, was 5-10 for 10 on third-down conversions throughout the game. And, uh, you know, the road to eight wins looks very possible for Miami. They got at FIU and at Duke to close the year. You know, Louisville, they need one more win to become bowl eligible, which would be an absolute victory for them oh, uh, yeah. for this season. Nobody saw that coming. 
And no. they, they close out. They've got at NC State, Syracuse, and at Kentucky remaining. So I think uh, the chances are pretty good that they're going to win one, possibly all of those games. So uh, no we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, kind of a disappointing showing for Louisville. But, you know, I'm not going to say I was totally shocked just because that Miami defense is uh, really good. Yeah, the Miami defense is really good. But, you know, this may have been a light that went off in Jaron Williams' head here because uh, throwing six TDs against anyone is difficult. Um, to do it against a, a team that has played pretty well in the ACC is another thing. So we'll see if, if if this is now clicking for Williams. Miami as a whole playing much better, uh, playing more like the Miami we thought we would see in the beginning of the year. So things are getting down, you know, a little bit more exciting down there in Coral Gables. And, uh, you know, Manny Diaz is certainly looking a lot better now than he was four weeks ago. Um, Louisville, on the other hand, as you mentioned, having NC State and Syracuse left on the schedule, uh, is going to lead to a, a nice outro for Scott Satterfield in conference play. So uh, we'll see where that ends up taking him. But, yeah, completely miraculous that we're going to sit here and probably see Louisville in a bowl game. Yeah, so, I mean, that's three wins in a row for Miami. I, I got to say, I was I was pretty surprised when Miami decided to bench Jaron Williams. Not yeah. in the Virginia Tech game because he needed to be benched in that one. He had three right. picks in the first quarter. Uh, but just going forward after that, and I don't know if it was so much of a shoulder injury, or I don't know if it was, you know, performance. But at some point he was benched. Um, you know, UVA or Miami did beat UVA the following week. But you know, Miami's won three in a row, four, five. They're looking, uh, they're looking much improved by week next week. So um, yeah, an eight and four Miami team, not not terrible. You know, better than um, better than it looked like it was going to be to to start the year when they went zero and two. So, sure. Uh, let's see who do we got next here, Tim. Notre Dame destroys Duke thirty eight seven. So Duke continues to struggle. They're now four and five. Um, Quentin Harris once again not so efficient. Uh, sixteen to twenty eight, one hundred and two yards, one touchdown, one pick. Duke only had ninety five yards rushing. Pretty ugly game. Ian Book had a big day. He did have two interceptions, but otherwise four passing touchdowns, career high in rushing with 139 yards. Notre Dame used a number of guys in the rushing attack, uh, finished with 288 yards on the ground. Uh, They rolled 38-7, absolutely steamrolled Duke at Duke. And, uh, you know, if you're Duke, you're you're in trouble. You're you're 4-5. You're 2-3 in the conference. And you've got Syracuse at Wake and Miami to close the year. So uh, that Syracuse game is pretty important for the old Dukies. And uh, if they drop that one, I don't see any way that this team is going to be able to get to a bowl. No, and, you know, something is, is is wrong, I think. Something has gone completely stale on the offensive side of the football. I don't know if new blood is needed in in regards to coaching on the offensive side of the ball. It doesn't seem to be too much of a talent thing. I think there is talent on that Duke team, um, you know, but it's it's interesting to see how much longer this sort of death spiral on offense can continue. Um, you know, Cutcliffe, an offensive guy, and by all accounts, a very good coach, although his record would leave you scratching his head, I think, if you dug deeply into that. Um, yeah, th- there's going to be uh, some shaking and, and moving needed in Durham in order to get that program back on track. Um because it doesn't seem like the fix is is going to be here in the short term either. So they're going to have to figure out what they've got with the pieces that they've got. And I don't know if they'll be able to snap out of it and make a bowl game. Uh, Duke is playing some really, really poor football right now. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's tough to believe if we go back to that 
final final weekend in September. Yeah. And Duke puts on an offensive show against Virginia Tech, beats him by five touchdowns. And then they go on to lose four or five with yeah. an offense that, you know, can barely move the ball. So really odd. You know, they haven't really gotten that banged up or anything. There's really nothing that you can point to to say this is why Duke is struggling other than just inefficient play. Uh, so, yeah, I think it that is concerning. Uh, pretty big disappointment. Um, and, you know, they, they need to beat Syracuse next week to get to 5-5, five and five, and then maybe they have a chance of knocking off Wake or Miami, but I kind of doubt it. Um, so I think Duke will likely be sitting home come bowl season, but we'll see. Maybe they can right the ship over the last three weeks. Um, talking about a team that needs to right the ship, Tim. Oh, boy. NC State. Yeah. So absolutely uh, destroyed. Uh, if you do recall, I thought Clemson would win by 45. That's correct. And they won by 45. So nice. So 55-10 uh, was the final. Uh, Clemson was up 42 to nothing in halftime. Uh, why did NC State decide to make this weekend homecoming? You know, I don't know. Yeah. That was one of those yeah. those uh, situations where uh, you chose poorly, for sure. Yeah, that's kind of like uh, let's you know let's shock the world and upset, and then you have no idea how bad your team is going to be at that point in the season. And you know it's bad. And on top of things, you know it didn't help that Clemson wanted to come out and make a statement. You know, two of the top four that were ahead of them in college football playoff, they lost. Clemson showed out. You know, let's assume they'll move into the top four this week, unless you know the one loss Georgia or Oklahoma jump ahead of them, uh, yeah, which they, you they know, wouldn't surprise them. me at this point. No, it wouldn't, but come on. But uh, 246 yards on the ground, we're averaging six yards a carry. Trevor Lawrence, three touchdowns. Uh, Bam Knight added the only Wolfpack touchdown right after halftime, 53-yard touchdown run. But NC State fumbled four times and lost them four times. So. Ugly yeah. game for the Wolfpack all around. You know, they're sitting here at 4-5. and five. They've got Louisville at Georgia Tech, UNC coming up. That's gonna, That's a tough road to get six wins. Not impossible, but highly mm. unlikely. Highly unlikely when you can't. Uh, let's just put it kindly. There's not a quarterback on that roster. So, you know, shuffling the, the, the chairs on the deck of the Titanic at this point may not matter a whole lot when you can't get any sort of consistent attack going through the air. Devin Leary looks like a guy who can't go through his project or progressions. He locks into a wide receiver. He's a very long release. That's led to some issues, and honestly, he should have more interceptions than, than he's got on the season because he's had uh, a Butterfingers uh, attack the opponent's DBs at fortunate times for him. Yeah, You know, what you are seeing is a beat-up team with no quarterback, uh, that that just can't get things going together. Uh, you know, coaching hasn't been great on either side of the ball, and it's all blending together for a perfect storm. Um, but it was nice to see Bam Knight play well. That's a guy that NC State staff is really high on, and they should be. He's extremely talented. Uh, dealt with some injuries this year, but appears to be getting back into the flow of things. And um, you know, this was wholly expected. Clemson being left out of that top four really signed uh, NC State's death warrant. Um, and, and they were never really going to win the game. Uh, but, you know, having a pissed-off Clemson coming into Raleigh never was going to bode well for them. No, it really wasn't. And, uh, you know, kind of, you know, hidden under everything, Clemson clinched the Atlantic uh, with yep. the Wake Forest loss. 
Uh, so basically they host Wake next week, then they have a bye, then they play South Carolina, and then they uh, await who they will play in Charlotte. Actually, they'll probably already know by the time they play South Carolina because uh, UVA and Virginia Tech play on Black Friday. So yeah, it's going to be Clemson in the ACC Championship once again, most likely for a spot in the college football playoff, a game that they will have to win in order to get there this year. So you know, it's shaping up to be an interesting uh, end of November. And, uh, yeah, any final words on what we saw this weekend before we uh, close it out? No, just, you know, the ACC is starting to make a little more sense now. I think we're seeing some teams that we thought were good teams play like good teams. Uh, that's always helpful. You know, the last thing I really want to say before we go is, you know, just thanks, Bud Foster, for all you've done for that program. Uh, you know, you'll always be a hokey for as long as you live and, um, you know, Bud getting to the point where we're having this farewell tour and we see him holding a lunch pail being carried off the field, it's sort of sinking in reality that we're going to lose that final connection to the Frank Beamer era, which I talked about on, you know, on the last podcast. But uh, moving forward, I think, you know, now we'll start to think and, and maybe consider some options as far as who's going to be the next DC and maybe some rumors will start to heat up as we move closer and closer towards the end of the season. But um, yeah, just what a great celebration of that man that entire game was. Uh, and I just want to say again, well done to the Virginia Tech Athletics Department. Well done to the fans. I thought everything was done uh, high class and top notch uh, for Bud, and that's what he deserves. The only thing I was disappointed in was we didn't have a special uniform lined up oh, for the uh, for the yeah. outing. Just like Swing even if it was just like a throwback or something or like a special patch. like Maybe a sticker on the helmet. Yeah, you know? a little lunch pail. Yeah, you know, just oh something, you know, but I, I wanted to see the uh, the uh, special design, the I can't uh, think of the word. The, yeah, but you know what Talk, I'm talking about with the win on the sideline and the, the VT, the black helmets. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. that was sick. So, yeah, you know, maybe one day, maybe maybe we'll we'll throw those out there next year um, as we as a special way to honor Bud Foster. But you know, that is our show for this week. Uh, you know, thanks for listening. If this is your first time, be sure to leave a review. Uh, you know, be sure to hit that subscribe button. We prefer five stars. Uh, if you do four, I mean, that's fine. Uh, you know, let us know why. Maybe just tweet us why and then leave five stars anyway. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> I'm not going to tell that's you. It. Um, how to do it, but you know, just want to throw that out there. Obviously, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, you know, however you listen to us now, that's a great way to do it. Or you can head over to chowderandgrits.com, check us out there, shoot us an email, write us a question. However, you want to interact with us, please do so. Twitter at Chowder and Grits, Facebook at Chowder and Grits. Tim, I kind of stole your thunder, but why don't you tell these people what they can do for us? Yeah, tell your friends, spread the word, uh, let people know who you're listening to, why you're listening to them, and what they bring to the table. We appreciate that. Continue to reach out to us on Twitter. The interaction has been awesome. Uh, and just keep being you guys, man. Go ahead and hang up your Christmas trees. Get in the spirit. College basketball's in the swing of things. You know, the, the Hokies and, and many ACC teams are playing some uh, lower-tier small schools uh, this weekend and, you know, getting that ramped up. So there's nothing like watching college basketball with a Christmas tree on and your fireplace on. Um, you know, other than that, all you can do is just keep listening. We certainly appreciate you tuning in, and, and we look forward to turning out content for you guys as we move closer and closer to holiday season. So uh, with that, I'll go ahead and tie it up uh, and leave it with a thank you, Bud Foster, and a go ACC. 
See you guys later.